the prophecies of the scripture must be fulfilled. Regardless of what they say, they must be fulfilled. With that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be reading also from Luke chapter 17. And then we're going to move over to 1 John chapter 2. This is a continuation, I think it's the third installment of series of messages on what's next. And I've reminded you or told you before, that's not a question mark. What's next? That's how we usually say that. You know, well, what's next? This is a period. Even on my notes, I put a period. What's next? The Bible tells us what's next. God has been good to mankind to let them know how this is going to, as we say it, go down. We better adjust. And again, make sure that if there's going to be unsteadfastness, and there will be, and if there's going to be defection from the faith, and there is now and there will be, you just make sure that you're not on that list, no matter what. Now, in the third installment of the series, What's Next, period, I want to deal with just that little phrase and combine it with another one, the days of Noah, right there. And then we're going to look at in First John Love not the world. That's the actual title of the message. The days of Noah. If you're taking notes and you put a colon, love not the world. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's verse 37. Verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, over in Luke chapter 17, parallel account of the same message that Jesus was giving, Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we have here in Matthew, as also in Luke, Jesus telling us, right prior to his coming, the days on the earth would be, I want to say similar, but I think it's actually worse than the days of Noah were. Now, with that in mind, come with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we combine these two thoughts together. 1 John 2, verse 15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." I want to go a little further and show you how this connects. It's in the very next verse, how this connects to the subject of eschatology. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And in case I neglect to mention it, we have been in the last days for 2,000 years. Not just the last six months, nine months, last few years, 2,000 years. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many antichrists. Notice the singular and the plural. Whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out. This is curious. I don't know that we'll touch on this today, but look what this says here. They went out from us, antichrists, coming out of the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, which means an anointing. And ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He's Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. That which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, stay in him, remain in him. That's what it means. Don't move, stay, be steadfast, continue. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, two references, the days of Noah, and then in 1 John, love not the world. See, God's judgment was on the world, not on the planet, though the planet was included temporarily. The world in the Bible means the current order of things, which really is disorder when we look at the word iniquity, when we look at the word lawlessness, it's a disorder, but it's the way things are going. And the words of Sir Walter Scott, I believe, ring true in this time more than ever when he wrote them in the 18th century. He wrote of the Bible, Within that awful volume lies the mystery of mysteries, happiest day of human race, to whom God has granted grace, to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch and force the way, and better had they ne'er been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. Those words ring as true now as they did in the early part of the 18th century, the early 1700s when he wrote them. The Bible has only one of two effects on the people who read it and hear it. They either believe or they discard it. They either persist in their scorning, in their antagonism towards what it says, or they believe. And I think, among other doctrines in the Bible that are resisted by men, probably there's nothing more ubiquitous, universal, than resisting the doctrine of the flood. It's debated on the level of science and hydrology and even geology and historians yet accepted by millions of people who profess to belong to Christ. We are seeing the prophecies fulfilled in our lifetime. And we really don't have to, I should say, I don't have to move in the spirit of aggrandizement and too much drama to convince you that the events recorded in Genesis, starting at Genesis chapter 6, 
When God said that it had repented him that he had made man. Now that's a subject all in itself and does have explanation. God doesn't repent the way we do. And God knows all things from the beginning, but just let's accept it at its face value for a moment. That God was so grieved at the behavior of humanity that he decided to send a worldwide flood and destroy everything that breathed, everything that had the breath of life. As I mentioned, there's probably not a single doctrine in the Bible more hotly debated than this one here. And why? We'll read near to the end of this message. It's not because the evidence is not there. That a cataclysmic flood engulfed the entire world. The evidence is there and it's clear enough. But the scriptures say of this men are willingly ignorant. And why? I don't think it'd be much for any hydrologist, scientist, geologist, theologian, heretic, but one who professes their expertise as theology. I don't think it would offend too many people if it wasn't connected to the judgment of God. And so preachers today, as I've told you so many times, and I'll continue to tell you, they back away from these things. I've heard it said to me that they won't preach these things because they don't want to scare people. Listen, we had a house fire years ago. I was the only one home that had just happened to be there when it just started. I happened to stop by my house at an hour when I never stopped by. And just decided, let me just grab some quick lunch before I go on. And honestly, I'd never in the house at that time of day. Or at least in the past, I wasn't. And there coming down the stairs is this billowing plumes of smoke. I ran up the stairs to see what was happening. And there in the bedroom, the way it was situated years ago were flames that were every bit of six feet high, just leaping off the bureau, just starting to make their way to the attic. Made a quick call to my wife. I said, you have to call the fire department. Our house is on fire. And then as I hung up, I just had this thought. Get some towels, turn the bathtub on, and kept getting towels, just throwing this wet cloth, big pieces of material at the fire. I kept throwing it, running back and forth, throwing it. Something told me in my mind I had two minutes to get this out, which, by the way, when the fire company got there, they said, you had about two minutes before I would took your whole house. And I just knew this intuitively. This has to be put up now. By the time the fire company gets here, the house will be gone. And that day, by the grace and mercy of God, I was able to spare my home from ultimate destruction. Now, what if somebody came to my home and saw that conflagration, that fire, and called me or spoke to me and said, Pastor, you know, your house is on fire. And says it in a very casual tone, the way you talk about the flower bed or your grass. You see, our speech, all of our speech, must be appropriate to the occasion. And if preachers actually believe the word of God, if they actually believe this event was not only real in the past, but it's going to come again in the future, but in a different way, which I'll explain to you, then you are obliged, if you say, I'm called of God, I'm anointed of God, I was sent into the ministry by God, like we read in John, Gospel according to John, chapter 1, of John the Baptist, who says, and there was a man sent from God, not from the seminary, but from God. He was sent from God. I have this conviction, and I hold it still, that true men of God, we could say women of God, true men and women of God are called by God alone. And it's a good thing, I guess, to send them off to Bible school and all of that. But that does not make a man of God. What makes a man of God is that God anoints that person to stand in a sacred office like this one here. It becomes obligatory for that man to do his duty and do what is required. He's not to say, well, I don't talk about these things, the end times, and I don't talk about the flood and all that, because it scares people. 
The idea is to scare people in one manner of speaking. If someone came to my house and just said down there on the first floor, the fire was on the second floor, and I was on the second floor, you expect them to act in a manner that's appropriate with the truth. Your house is on fire. Move. Do something. I wouldn't have been instructed by anybody. I was actually chastised by the fire company when they came that what I did was not wise. But again, it was my home. I took the risk for myself. I don't ask permission from anybody what to do with my life. I saved my home. That was the goal. But again, if somebody was standing down there and they knew the truth and did not bring to me the truth, they said, well, I don't want to scare him. Then my house would have perished. And if I had decided to lay down and if I had perchance fallen into a deep sleep, not only would my house perish, but so would I. The Bible is clear. Whatever men think, Whatever they say, as Sir Walter Scott wrote, some read the Bible to scorn at people like us, to lampoon us. But that doesn't relieve me or you, for that matter, of the obligation of speaking the truth in love. That God once destroyed the world, and in his own way of putting it in his book, that he had repented that he made man. Because the wickedness of man, the Bible says, was so great, so great, that the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. I'm thinking, I won't name him, of the preacher who some years ago was well-known. He was called at one time America's pastor. He was never mine, and he never will be. But that's what he was called, America's pastor. And he was asked to describe and define evil. And what his answer was when something like this. Well, who really, who can define evil? Preachers don't talk like that. No, sir. No. No, prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles, Jesus Christ, never, they never talked like that. When asked a direct question that's part of your expertise, you give a direct answer. If you're interviewed by Larry King, as another well-known preacher was, and he's asked direct questions, you give direct answers. What do you think of hell? What about hell? Larry King was lobbing them over there. And the preacher just sat there and deferred. Well, I don't go there. You don't go there. What if your surgeon told you? Maybe he's the only surgeon in the county and you need heart surgery, as I did once. And he's got all the training and maybe even all the skills, but he said, well, I don't go there. I don't make judgments. You know, when that man opened up my heart 12 years ago, he had to make judgments when he was in there. And you expect him to make judgments or die. And as just an aside, we need God, as we're praying, God to raise up preachers who will not be afraid of the faces of the people or who they might offend. And for that matter, who they might please. See, the preacher's got to be able to stand before the people and not be concerned whether they are pleased or offended. All he's got to do is just say, the house is on fire. That's it. Simple, not easy, but it's simple. And so we have preachers who will not speak of these things. They will not speak, as I just go through this with you by way of remembrance from last week, they will not speak of the current apostasy we have in the church worldwide. Even though God is pouring out his spirit in other places, these tracks are, again, good and evil. They're running in parallel. So we have in some places we're having great revival. In other places, it's going to be going on for quite a long time. People are just leaving. They won't talk about the apostasy. They won't talk about the wars and the rumors of wars. Let me remind you of what I read to you last week. The 20th century was the bloodiest, costliest century of warfare in human history. That's past. World War I, World War II, and then throw in all of the other conflicts all around the world. And what is on the tip of the tongue of so many, many people today, especially experts, is World War III. Could there be a four and a five? I don't know. But we've already passed two. Wars and rumors of wars. I told you about the poll taken at Georgetown University. The majority of Americans believe that we are two-thirds of the way to being on the edge of a civil war. 
the representative from Oregon in his tweet put down, we're very close to another Harper's Ferry, if you know and remember your history, when John Brown went to this place, now called Harper's Ferry, to incite a revolt by the slaves against the whole institution of slavery. It's interesting to know that one of the designations that history gives to that event of Harper's Ferry is that it was a dress rehearsal for the American Civil War, a dress rehearsal. I've told you from the beginning, the situation we're in right now, in my own opinion, is a dress rehearsal for what's ultimately to come. You see, again, if I was more prone to the fear of man, I wouldn't preach this. wouldn't talk about it much. Be positive, they say. What could be more positive than warning someone their house is on fire to save their life? That's, the only, I mean, that's not the only purpose, but that's the reason we preach these messages is to save someone's life. As the Apostle Paul says, he became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. Save some. And the preacher who's truly sent of God preaches the message that's appropriate for the hour by the scriptures. And he doesn't avoid the issues because someone's going to leave the church. They're going to leave anyway. People are whimsical and capricious. One day you're the hero, like David. David's the king. David's the man. Saul slayed his thousands. David his ten thousands. Then he's at Ziklag, and the situation goes bad, and they say, stone him, kill him. It's his fault. They did the same to Moses. Don't ever be fooled by people who adore you one minute because they will be building a monument to you with the stones they use to kill you. That's exactly what Jesus, well, not exactly, but it's really what Jesus was implying when he said to the Pharisees, you say that we would not done if our fathers have done and killed the prophets. And therefore, he says, you are a testimony and you are a witness that you are the children of those that killed the prophets. They killed their own prophets. They weren't Gentiles. They were Jews. And they came along with the message of God. And so we hear about this and people believe. Now, these are all recent publications I'm giving to you. And the nation against nation and the kingdom against kingdom and famines, global famine is on the way. World faces its biggest crises. Remember, these were all publications that are just within the last month or so. Pestilences, Washington Post said, how many diseases are there? Estimation is about 10,000. And uh, that's dealing mainly with the more rare diseases. Is probably much more than that. How many treatments? 500. So use 500 as a denominator under 10,000. We don't come up with many treatments. But listen, in Exodus 15, 26, God has promised to put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians. But the condition is, and I'll just put it succinctly, is to love them with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then actually do it. Not to feel some kind of emotion. Pestilences, earthquakes. I went through a whole list of the earthquakes that have happened in the last 10 years, all of them of great magnitude, 7.8, 8.8. Talk to you a little bit about UFOs and some of the phenomena, about 10% of things that are actually in the air that no one can actually explain rationally. 90% they can. And then I've wrote to you privately about why you should be at church services, why you should be in Bible study, why you should be fellowshipping with other Christians, why you should be praying. New York State Bar Association, two weeks ago now, two weeks, just 14 days, passed a resolution urging the state to consider making it mandatory for all New Yorkers to undergo COVID-19 vaccination when a vaccine becomes available, even if people object to it, quote, for religious, philosophical, or personal reasons. That means you can't have an excuse. Now, what will become of this? Who knows? That's a recommendation. Who knows how it's going to play out, this present situation that we have. But we do know from reading the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, how it's going to play out. And I, again, assert that this is a dress rehearsal. But Christ is coming. Amen. Christ is coming. Yes. There won't be any other religious leader you've ever heard of. It's Christ that's coming. 
Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, God become flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God, Emmanuel, this is the Savior of the world. And if I go away, I will come again, Jesus said. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Because not one word of the prophecies of the scriptures has fallen to the ground in the past. And they're not falling to the ground in the future or at this moment right now. You're watching Bible prophecy unfold before your eyes. In your newspapers, on the news reports, everywhere. Can I say it this way? Even those good guys, you know, the ones that you really... I don't want to insult you, but... The ones that you were so, I only watch so-and-so news. I never watched them. And why? Because I know who owns them. Now all of a sudden they're rolling, or flipping as the term is used. Something that real men and women don't do. They're flipping, they're rolling. And why? For ratings, which are underrated. It's for money. How do you really know who's watching Nielsen ratings, which have been used as a standard for many, many decades? How do you really know who's watching this broadcast? You don't. But the advertisers know by how much people are buying their product. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. The days of Noah, love not the world. These two exhortations from the scriptures is the watchword of the hour. And again, I want to say this to you about preachers or any that may be watching who are preachers. It is not for us to decide how big or small a church should be or the number of people that congregate in a certain place. That's in the hands of God. How many are saved? That's in the hands of God. Preachers just got to preach. Preach the word. Be instant. In season. Out of season. Exhort. Rebuke. Reprove. With all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine. What I'm bringing to you today is sound doctrine. It may not fit the standard definition of positive thinking or a positive mental attitude in the minds of some. But in my mind it is. Because it's the mercy of God that says this is coming. Avoid it. This is coming. Come to me. I am your tower. I am your refuge. What could be more merciful, once again, to use the illustration, than to tell someone the truth? Your house is on fire. Save yourself. Save yourself. That's positive. That God has revealed to us something we would not be able to know unless he had revealed it. This is how it will end. And the end for us is the beginning. As I've told you over the years, remember this. When we look at Goshen, where the children of Israel were put during their 400 years of captivity in Egypt, when the judgments fell upon Egypt, which was certainly frightening, they fell every place but one city, Goshen. When the darkness was so, so bad, you could cut it with a knife, there was light in Goshen. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And as long as we follow him, we will always be in the light and we will see the prophet again, Daniel, he said, the wicked will not know, they will not discern, they will not see this, but the righteous shall see it. And they will shine as the stars of the firmament of the heavens, and we will know it. The days of Noah have arrived. In the days of Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, it says, the earth was filled with violence. We have read so frequently of shootings at malls and other events, concerts, and churches. For no real apparent reason. We have become calloused because it's happening so much. Another shooting just this past week, and we just kind of just go on. I'm not saying you should dwell on it, but we cannot get so used to the increasing violence in the world that it no longer affects us in our prayers. Oh, God, save. Oh, God, help. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. Help the backslider. 
You see, if we get too callous, we'll forget these things in our prayers. And one of the things, among many, that Jesus said to be aware of, to those who follow him or profess to follow him, he said, make sure the cares of this world, don't choke off the word of God. What's the cares of this world? It's not the anxieties of a prolonged sickness that may be heading towards death or anything like that. It's just the normal day-to-day things. It's the normal day-to-day things that are providing a distraction for so many people. What was Noah's day like? It was a day of unparalleled violence, 6-5 in Genesis. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now it was unabated, unrestrained. The imagination can be a good thing. Then again, the imagination can be a bad thing. Have you ever judged a person when you first saw them? You just say, I just don't like that guy. And then when you get talking, you find out that he's really a great guy. What happened was your imagination was engorged with some thought that came from somewhere, your own heart, satanic, both, and painted a picture that was not accurate. Well, you all understand what the imagination is all about. It comes from the word image, and it can work for your good. God made it. It's good. Or it could work for your evil. Because in Noah's days, the imagination was not only violence, but how to do more violence. Hollywood movies, novels, other things, magazines. It seems as though, I remember John Wayne talking about this, you know, the shootings you see in movies. And he was registering an objection to how now they were using squibs, so you can actually see the blood. Now if you watch a Hollywood movie, you can see all of the insides and the, you know, just it was becoming more bloody. Um, video games. I was uninitiated, really, to exactly what is out there right now. And so you have kids for hours playing, and there's blood all over the place, running people over with cars. Well, it sells, and the people behind it don't care what happens to the kids or the family or anybody else. It's just all about money. Sadly, there's many, many ministers out there that for them is the same thing, too. It's all about money or their own reputation, or their own biography. And it's not about that. This gospel was not written for the aggrandizement, the word I used before, of any individual. It was written so people would be warned and they could flee from the wrath to come in the cross of Jesus Christ and in a relationship with Jesus. No evil shall befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling in the 91st Psalm. But then in Isaiah 53, it says this, But who has believed it? Who has believed our report? Because when we get down to it, and you know it and I know it, after we leave here, we look like the world, we talk like the world, we act like the world, and God says, love not the world. Love not it. Because if you do, that means you can't have the love of the Father because they're polar opposites. Again, not the earth, not the planet, not the water, not the air, not the clouds, not the fish. It's the way the world is going. We'll read it in just a second. That this world is on a course headed for destruction. Here's a definition of wickedness. A mental disregard for justice, for righteousness, for truth, for honor, for virtue, evil in thought and life, depravity, sinfulness and criminality. And so we see in the days of Noah, this is how the earth, the whole world had become. Estimates vary as to the population of the days of Noah, but there are many who make a credible case for the fact that the world was as populous as it is right now. You cannot go to any nation on the face of the planet, including the smallest of islands here in America, Native Americans. And everybody has what psychologists would call a collective consciousness of a great deluge that took the whole earth. Interestingly, scientists are the ones that say, we doubt this. And yet every person, every is relative, person on the planet has a tradition or a legend or a myth 
a distortion of the biblical story, but they have it in their consciousness that it happened. Missionaries went to an island there, I forget which island it was, and they began to talk about this subject to them, the flood, and they were nodding their heads, yet they knew about it. They'd never met a Christian before, a Christian missionary before, but they knew about this flood. And when the missionaries asked them to give them some proof, they pointed at the ocean. You look at North America, and you look at Africa, and you see it looks like two puzzle pieces. Not hard to imagine. These could have fit together at one time when the rain came down. Waters came up from the depths of the earth and separated the earth as it was then. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now notice here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, which is true of every patriarch and character of the Bible, that their faith had legs. It wasn't this nebulous intellectual assent to some biblical doctrine or doctrines plural or to the Bible as a whole. Is it inspired? Oh, yeah. Everyone who has true faith shows it in the way they live, the way they think, the way they speak. All of us display what we really believe in our behavior. And Noah displayed when God said, listen, the world is going to be flooded. Everything's going to die. Build an ark. You started to go to work. That's real biblical faith. That's how you know you have faith. When God says, do it, you do it, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, said. Whatever he says to you to do, she didn't say believe it. She said, do it. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You see, and I'll lay this on the preacher. If the preacher allows you to think that because you came here today and you showed up and you had a Bible and you opened it when the preacher said open it and whatever else you do and you prayed and you sang and you gave something in the offering. That's all. That preacher has done you a disservice, because that's not it. Well, those things go along with being a Christian, sure, obviously. But it's everything about us 24-7, Monday, or Sunday, I should say, through Saturday, seven days, all the time. It's who we are. I'm six feet tall. I have blue eyes and other characteristics. That's who I am. I was born in a certain place, raised a certain way. I have a certain set of parents. That's who I am. And when you're truly born again, that is who you are. And that's the grace of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll read this later a little bit more length, but let me just give it to you now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. The world which was, was sometime disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Imagine Noah's ministry. There's a lot of people in the Bible I would not want to be. And here's another one. Some say 120 years. I think more in terms of 100 years. 500 he was when he was given this word. And 600 he was when the floods came. In any case, it doesn't matter. We'll round it off to a century of preaching righteousness to people. And no one responded. How would you like to be the pastor of a church where nobody receives Christ? And you've been there 100 years. And do you think you're going to get invited? And I can tell you right now, you won't. Do you think you're going to get invited to a seminar on church growth? Because I've been to those seminars over the years. So I don't go anymore. won't be going in the future. And no one on the platform that I can remember was ever the pastor of a small church. They were always the pastor of some big church. They were always the mega pastor, the successful, the dressed to success guy, or the Fortune 500 preacher. Their techniques many times were carnal. I'm not saying their motives. But then, you know, when you're in a position like I was, my family and my wife was, and we're in a little place in South Yonkers, in a building that the city's already threatened to condemn. And the statistics, all of them were no good 
for church planting, for building a church. You don't do it. We had three quarters of Westchester's poorest people in that area. And we had all of these things working against us. And guess what happened? The church grew. It didn't grow because the pastor was so smart and using all these great techniques. Because he just came from the latest seminar because he dressed cool. I had a shirt and tie then. I have a shirt and tie now. I'm not saying that makes you holy. I'm just saying that's what I do. It's what I do when I go to a wedding. It's what I do when I go to a funeral. I show respect. And this is how we do it as men. In any case, that's really incidental. That's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Same Bible, same messages. Going back now 40 years. And God saved whom he would. Because God's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. And his ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. And here when we read from Peter, he said he saved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And just again quickly, picture yourself as a preacher who has never had a convert, ever. And no one's writing a book about you. And if you write a book, very few will read it. And those that do will discard it. And they'll read the popular preacher. Again, the guy with the fancy, can I say, Italian suits and the really expensive car. Not one home, but three. And he rides in a Learjet. And when it gets old, like the seats get a little stained, he's got to have a new one. And the people give money for that. Because God wants you to have not one home, but three, four, five. He wants you rich. And when you think about the ridiculousness and the statistic that I'm going to give you from science in just a minute, just came out, we could do back. What's it all worth? What's it all about, Alfie? Is it really all about this? Or is it about having peace inside and joy inside and an assurance inside, knowing that this body is not only going to be laid aside one day, but it's decaying now? And if you don't believe me, wait till you get to be this age. Huh? All of a sudden, things you swore would never happen to you when you get old are there. Trust me. Let's take a look at the world for just a second. It is the order of things that we see now. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. 1 John 4, verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God, paraphrasing, they don't hear us. This is ridiculous. We've already had people turn off the live streaming, I assume, or they'll shut the radio off. This is not what people want to hear, but it's what people need to hear. And archaeology, as well as science and other disciplines, are actually helping us out as time goes on. Showing more and more evidence that God actually wrote this book. When it comes to the flood, there's so many books on the subject, it's hard to maybe fill your own library with just this one subject. The days of Noah. And now we're told not to love the world because the world is going to perish. Thankfully, though, let me get to it, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwells righteousness. And we look forward to that. We look forward to that. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. I remember years ago. When we were first in ministry. We drove a car that no one would have driven. I mean it was just like. You've seen the Beverly Hillbillies. 
I mean, the radiator and the exhaust system and everything about it just spoke of a preacher. I was a preacher. I was a pastor at the time who evidently doesn't have any faith because he had a faith. He would have the latest model car and a chauffeur to go with it. We had to go to a wedding. Even on the way to the wedding, the radiator was starting to act up, and I kept just saying, oh, I just hope at least we make it to the wedding. While we were there, there was a young man coming around with the bride, much younger than me, and he was doing so good. Wall Street, wealthy, sort of like the rich young ruler reminded me of. Nice guy, nice kid. And here I'm driving up and driving home in this broken down thing. And remember, I had left, well, a secure job, one where I wouldn't have gotten wealthy, but I would have always had work. And I could afford a better car than the one I was driving. But the reason I was driving that car is because I committed my life to Christ and started out in the part of town where everybody says you don't go there. All the experts say you don't go there. But the church worked because God is not limited. But I began to think about my life momentarily, knowing how successful this young man is just out of college, type of money he was making and so on. And a nice guy. But then it occurred to me, all these things don't matter. Now I'm going back again about 40 years that this event happened. And I thought, no, I made the right choice. I made the right choice. In less than a week, that young man wrapped, this is a true story, that young man was coming home from a bachelor party, wrapped himself around a tree, and there was nothing left but his dental record. You see, that was a momentary test for me. Will I be a preacher? Will I be a man sent from God? Or I'll be just another hireling? Am I going to say the truth, speak the truth, no matter what, so help me God? Or am I going to admire somebody else that I could have been? I got a lot of gifts and talents. I could have made the money. But Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. And I said to myself, where else can I go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And I have never, ever, ever regretted that decision. No, never. In any case, the point being is that what's it all worth? What's it all about, Alfie? If you're old enough to remember the movie. Popular Mechanics printed a little article that came from a longer article in a journal made for and by astrophysicists. This is just last week. And the title of the article, this is Popular Mechanics, the universe is getting hotter. And then the colon said, and this is not supposed to happen. You see, the theory of the universe is that as it expands, it's cooling down. That's been believed for a long, long time. Now, at Ohio State University, in the Department of Astrophysics, they have discovered that, no, the universe is actually heating up. The theory is that as the universe is progressing, whatever it's doing, it's pulling. The gravitational force is pulling everything together into black matter, and it's making the universe hotter. They estimate that the temperature at the moment is 400 million degrees Fahrenheit, which is hotter than Florida. <laughs> Not by much, but it's hotter. And you see, the thing about science, unlike the Bible, the Bible just sits there and just says what it says for thousands of years. Unlike science, they're always switching gears, which is okay, that's fine. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. More evidence comes into the court, and they have to examine it and say, wait a second, the universe isn't cooling down, is it? It's getting hotter. But here's the real mystery of mysteries that I read to you from Sir Walter Scott. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Now we have science, and we put it in the Bible or better yet, I say the Bible stands there looking at science, nodding its head. <laughs> Listen, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds, as an adjective, by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. That's an adjective, too. 
And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, just again, parenthetically, let me tell you that we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. So as we count time, where is the promise of his coming? But in a moment, we'll see that's not the way God counts time. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 3. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Now, let me just stop for a second. This is a fisherman writing 2,000 years ago. Who says things like this? Unless you've been anointed and touched by God, in the biblical sense of the word, inspiration, inspired by God. It's not going to end with water. It's going to end in some conflagration of fire. Listen. Now science is saying, hey, the universe is getting hotter. But the heavens, verse 7, the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That doesn't necessarily mean what sometimes we try to draw out of it, but it does mean this. God is outside of time. A thousand years to us is a thousand years to God. It's the same as 24 hours. Or reversing it, 24 hours could be a thousand years. You know, in our home, my wife some years ago found a little tiny box turtle, little guy. And she decided to take him home and nourish him and help him out. And he's in a tank. Now he's about this big. He's very friendly. He actually likes people. And see, when I'm outside that tank, I could put my hand in the tank or I could take it out. I could see the beginning and the end at the same time. I could look through the glass this way. I could look through if I wanted to underneath. I often look down at him this way. I could feed him. I could not feed him. It's the same with God. When you were a kid, did you have, as we did up on the board, the alphabet written in cursive, which I found now is illegal? <laughs> and you saw A and you saw Z all at once. This is what God means when he says, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end simultaneously because he's outside time. Time is relevant to us, but not to God. Where's the promise of his coming? God is not slack. He's not willing that any should perish. So in a sense, if you can use the illustration I gave you, he's crying, fire. Get out of the way. That's the mercy of God. And it's still the truth. And by my calculation and estimation and opinion, it's very positive. Anybody who's looking out for my life to save my life and does save my life, that's positive positive. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Huh. That's a strange word. We rarely ever hear in pulpits any longer, repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements, listen, it's a fisherman speaking 2,000 years ago. Now we have scientists, you know, they always have long degrees, and their word, just like every trade, they have their own language. So when I'm reading up on these subjects, honestly, sometimes it gets a bit above my pay grade. And I'm trying to figure out just what he's saying, but I get the point. The universe is getting hot, hotter, not cooler, hotter. That's what they say. Again, verse 10, 2 Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. First time they were overflowed with water. This time God says it'll be burned up. Listen. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And I say for the third time, last time, this is not an astrophysicist. By the way, these people in Ohio State worked over in Europe with Sloan and another organization. They've been studying it for years now. And they're saying, you know what? The universe is getting hotter. And here's a fisherman saying, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And by the way, you can't say this unless you're inspired of God. It's a fisherman. They never, he particularly never understood what Jesus was doing <laughs> until after the second chapter of Acts. And he's the first one to step out and say, you crucified him. You crucified the Lord of glory. It was you, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And he talks about repentance and coming to Christ. And some did, many did. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner, what type of people should we be? In all holy conversation, this old English word doesn't just mean our speech and includes that, but it means our behavior. Holy behavior and godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, and here's the good news. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved... Seeing that you look for such things, right? The new heavens, the new earth. Be diligent that you may be found in, of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. They wrestle them. People do this with the Bible. They just take the words and they twist it. That's not what it meant. That wasn't, look at every text has a context. And there's a saying that says this. If your text doesn't have a context, you have a pretext. You're making it up. Have you ever had that happen to you in a conversation? And I said, I heard you said this. And this happened to me more times than I could count. And I said, yeah, but wait a second. We were talking about this. That was my reference. This here and this here and that statement that you just had that I said, which I did say. Is out of the context. It's a pretext. Some do it because they misunderstood. Some do it maliciously. And some preachers may not be doing what they're doing consciously, but some are. They're manipulating the people. And in the end, it won't be good. The only thing that can set us free is the truth. Only the truth. Let me finish. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware. Here is the verse I mentioned earlier in the message at the beginning. Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Beware, he says. Warnings in Scripture to me have always been superfluous and absolutely misleading if they have no validity in the truth that we could slip away. Some say no, but that's not what the Scriptures testify of. It's constant warning. Stay abide, remain. But I'm being challenged, remain. I'm meeting obstacles, remain. The way is difficult. Jesus said that from the beginning. And you still walk like this, eyes fixed, heart is fixed. David said that, my heart is fixed. Jesus walked towards Jerusalem and his fate, prophetic fate, and he said he set his face like a flint. You couldn't move him. He was set on his destiny. We are on the course with destiny. And the signs are all around us. But the end 
for those who have taken God on his offer of mercy. Step into the ark. Abide there. Stay there. Don't go outside. Passover, right? Stay there. Stay inside. Don't come out. Just stay there. Stay in Christ. And grow in grace, it says in the last verse of 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The days of Noah have arrived. And we are told not to love the world. Not even sports. Honestly, some of this stuff, I gave up, I won't even tell you, a lot of these sports, I can't even watch them anymore. I can't. There are good things that God has put into the world that if you look for them, you'll find them. And we cannot be balanced, always looking for evil, always looking for good, one way or the other. That's out of balance. We've got to see both. You've got two eyes, right? And you've got to be able to see with both your eyes the picture. Where we're headed, this great tribulation that will come. At the end of that, when Christ does return to judge the living and the dead, he will restore the earth to its pristine glory. And we sang it earlier. In the prophecy of Daniel, it says, And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Within that awful volume lies the mystery of mysteries, happiest day of human race, to whom God has granted grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch and force the way. Better had they ne'er been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we praise you for the prophecies of the scripture must be fulfilled and they're being fulfilled everywhere as we see them all around us. God, I pray that here, those that are watching, listening by way of radio, wherever people are who profess Christ, would be steadfast and remain and never give up hope and never give up the good fight of faith. Pour out your spirit, God. Grant us the wisdom that we just read about, that we may grow in grace, that we may grow in you and never depart, to not be led astray by the error of the wicked who evangelize us out of our position where we rest securely now. Oh, God, help us, rather, to by all means save some. For those that have ears to hear and eyes to see, and only you know that, God, we bless you, we praise you, but we have a lot to look forward to as you have promised. And you, who cannot lie, will bring those promises to pass. One day, yes, we will be singing hallelujah. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. For this, God, we give you all the thanks, all the praise. Lord, I pray that we here in the foothills of the Adirondacks would do our duty, not only staying faithful to you where we are secure, but reaching out to other people in love and giving them the truth. Whether it's received or not is not what we control, but help us to do our duty and to pray and to help and to strengthen. And most of all, God, as you instruct us, not only to love you, but to love one another. Oh, God, give us more grace, more grace, more strength. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. When you follow Christ, you will look and appear to be odd to those who don't know him. So be it. Once again, we thank you, Lord, and ask you to give us the strength to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength, no excuses. And to love one another with no excuses. Those days have come. Perilous times shall come. They have come. And we need you. 
And with this, God, I just ask you today to pour out your spirit and blessing upon all my brothers and sisters here, those who are watching, those who are listening, and give them peace that you left to us. Father, we pray those things today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.